The following is a presentation of Genesis. Genesis is a place where you are invited to begin, belong, and believe. To find out more, visit us on the web at genesisthejourney.com. Welcome to Genesis. How are you guys? Is that on? I think it is. Does anyone know what uh, holiday it is? All right, just checking. Sometimes we celebrate holidays, and I don't know if people really know what uh, holiday it is. Does anyone know why we celebrate Columbus Day? Yes, because of Columbus, Ohio. Let's, let's be honest, and in Columbus, Ohio is where the Ohio State Buckeyes reside. Just wanted to make sure you New Englanders knew why we celebrated Columbus Day. Uh, hey, welcome to Genesis. My name's Michael, and uh, if you're here for the first time, I'm glad that you came out on Columbus Day. Um, we're uh, in the midst of a series. We're just doing two more uh, parts to this series called DNA, and uh, we spent some time taking a look at uh, who are we and how we were created, and uh, we spent uh, the last couple weeks, and we're going to finish up tonight by asking the question of who are we as a community. We looked at as individually who we are, and uh, tonight we'll finish up the uh, part, the section on uh, who are we collectively as a community. And then uh, next week we're going to finish off this DNA series by looking at one of the probably more, if not most, challenging scriptures uh, in all of the Bible where God says, I am holy, so therefore be holy in all that you do. And uh, who are we uh, individually? Who are we as a community? And then taking a look at who God is and the call that God has on our life uh, to uh, be his image bearers, to be holy. So I wanted to ask a question as we got started, and the question is, um, have you ever felt like you were um, headed in a certain direction, uh, walking in a certain direction in terms of life, so to speak, and uh, before you even realized it, before you even knew it, uh, you've veered off course. Uh, you thought you were headed one way, you thought you were going one direction, uh, but for some reason or another, um, you actually veered off of the course uh, that you were walking and you started asking yourself the question, how did I end up here? How did I get to this place? Now, sometimes you veer off course and within a day, a week, a month, um, you recognize it real quick. But sometimes you can go months, if not years, and you get to the place where you say, what on earth happened? How did I find myself, play, find myself living in this place? I see in marriages a lot where husbands and wives who've been together uh, for some time, they get after 5, 10, 15 years beyond, they start asking themselves the question, how did, we, how did we get in this place where we don't even really know each other anymore? Kyla and I talk about this a lot of, uh, Kyla, are we just sharing a space together or are we sharing a life? Are we sharing a heart uh, together And many people had good intentions, but somewhere along the line, they fell off course. See it with parents and kids. Of How did I get to this place where I have this non-existent relationship with my kid? And you might say that of your parents. What on earth happened? I thought we were doing so well, but it's like I don't even know him. I don't even know her. I don't even know them as my parents uh, anymore. You see it in careers. People get stuck in a career, and after a year, after two years, three years, five, ten years, how did, I, how did ten years of my life go by in this career? 
I was thinking about changing jobs a decade ago, and for some reason, I didn't. Or you see it maybe in friendships. What happened to this friendship? What happened to this relationship? How did things get so bad so quickly? We don't even talk anymore. Or you see it sometimes just in life choices. Typically on Monday, you notice this. Why did I do the same thing this weekend as I said I would not do again? And months and sometimes years go by. And you keep asking the same question of, why do I continue to do the exact same thing again and again and again? Well, the question is, sometimes we don't intend to do that. It certainly just um, happens. And I'll make a case later that nothing in life just happens. Uh, but this is what I'm going to call missional drift. When you are headed in one direction, and before you even know it, you're, you thought you were walking over here in life. You thought you were investing or building or creating and giving yourself to this over here, but before you even really recognized it, you were living life over there. And where your heart is screaming to go is over here, bless you, but somehow you've landed to the left uh, or to the right. I don't know um, if you've, some of you might be in this place like, wow, I'm totally, <laughs> I've drifted away from all who I thought I wanted to become and all that God was making me and creating in me. I remember uh, my freshman year of college at The Ohio State University, and um, I've always got to work it in somehow. Um, but I woke up one morning, uh, this was uh, mid-fall in, um, in uh, freshman uh, year, first semester, and uh, I had done some things the night before that uh, were pretty shameful, and uh, it was actually reoccurring, reoccurring patterns of doing the same old thing. Uh, and I woke up, uh, Actually, on a Saturday morning, it didn't take till Monday, I woke up on a Saturday morning and I asked myself that question, how did I get here? How did I land here? I was embarrassed. I was just filled with shame and guilt. And uh, I remember crying in the bathroom, um, not because I was in great physical pain, but I was just in kind of an emotional pain of I didn't, my life was becoming a mess if it wasn't already. And I didn't know how it all happened. I didn't know how I got to this place literally in the bathroom, sixth floor, Stradley Hall, Ohio State University, where I'm asking myself the question, how on earth did I get to this place? And I remember going and talking to my coach at the time because I didn't know what else to do. Uh, and I was trying to figure out, what am I doing? What's gone wrong? Where am I going? And uh, my coach, uh, <laughs> uh, this was his advice. Um, I don't know if he had been watching Oprah or something, but... Um, he said to me, Michael, what you think about most, you will become. And I was like, huh, that's not helpful, but thanks. Um, and um, he's like, well, you know, maybe you should talk to uh, the sports psychologist who works with the different teams. And I was like, all right, sounds like a good thing. And so I went and talked to this guy, and I kind of explained. I was like, my life is a mess. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. At least I thought I knew where I was going, but I'm in this totally different place. And this was his conclusion, genius. He's like, you're a swimmer. I was like, it's true. And um, he was like, you're looking for some discipline, some change in your life. I was like, I think so. I'm not sure what I'm actually looking for. He's like, you should probably consider becoming a Navy SEAL. And I kind of, I was like, you get paid to tell people this terrible advice? I mean, I was like, I'm a swimmer. I need discipline. So I see how they mesh. I should become a Navy SEAL. Well, I only had one session with him. It lasted about 20 minutes. And um, 
But I got to that place in my freshman year where I started asking the question, I've drifted so far off course. And I'm sure that some of you, if you cannot relate in this moment even tonight, I'm sure there's been a point in time uh, where you can relate. You're headed in one direction, but you started living and you landed over to the left or over to the right. So the question is, what causes missional drift? Well, maybe something or someone looked more attractive and you went for that quick fix. You're headed in one way and it just seems so much more appealing uh, to be over here and so you strayed looking for that quick fix. Or maybe it was just a string of poor decisions that ultimately led you astray. Uh, maybe you just grew discouraged, disenchanted, disillusioned with where you're actually going. Or maybe the mission actually was never really clear in your heart and your head. So let me ask you a question. Do you know what your mission in life is? I'm not asking if you have like a prepackaged missional statement. A lot of people have missional statements, and that's about as missional as they get. Do you know what your mission is? What you are living for? Remember, purpose is answers the question of why do I exist? And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. We exist. We were created to be in a relationship with our Creator. There's only one way we can have a relationship with Him, and it's through Jesus. So our purpose is covered when we enter into a relationship. I don't worry about my purpose. But then I ask the question, I know why I exist to be in a relationship with Him, but what is my mission going to be? You can't have missional drift if you don't actually know what your mission is. And if you don't know what your mission is, then typically what happens is you just kind of settle for whatever and whenever. It's a very aimless, directionless life. Looks good over here. I'll spend some days over here. Looks good over here. I'll spend some time uh, over here. For me personally, as I've grown just in my relationship with God, my purpose, as I've grown in my understanding of who God is, my understanding of Scripture, I've come to one conclusion of who I understand God to be. That God is a missional God, meaning God has a mission. And as I have wrestled with, well, if God is, it's true that God is a missional God, and I'm confronted with what am I going to make my life about? What am I going to be about? There comes a point where you collide and say, if God has a mission, shouldn't I get on board with what his mission is? If he created, created me, with intentionality, with purpose, with design. If I really want to live to the fullest extent of mission, I should probably discover what his mission is. When Jesus was um, among us, uh, God literally in flesh, uh, he spent the better part of three years trying to infuse in those that followed him, his disciples, what his mission was. And he made it so clear in the way he lived, in the way he taught, the way he treated, interacted, engaged with people, he made it crystal clear of this is what my mission is. Two verses that really highlight this is Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man, being Jesus, came to seek and he came to save what was lost. Similarly, in Mark chapter 2, it says this, uh, verse 15 through 17, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law 
who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? This is another way of saying, why doesn't he hang out with us? We have given our life to making a big deal about us, what we've done, what we've accomplished. We're the religious elite. And they were saying, why isn't he hanging out with us? Why is he hanging out with the scum of the earth, the rejects of society? And Jesus says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So why did Jesus come? It sums up in three words, to seek, to save, and to call. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, some people have missional statements. A lot of churches have missional statements. A lot of businesses have missional statements. A lot of people, you might have your own personal. If you hang out with Stephen Covey and read his stuff, he encourages you, I think, in chapter 3 or 4. Make sure you have your mission statement down and memorized. But just because you have a words on a piece of paper does not make your life missional. And what these guys, being the disciples who hung out with Jesus for the better part of three years, they learned what it was like to be missional because they saw Jesus was missional. He was so clear in why he came, in what he came to do, in what his mission was. And he was trying to infuse that in his followers at the time and ultimately in us as well. So my prayer, like it was last week, my prayer for us tonight is that God would make us missional. Because when we are being missional, we are reflecting back to humanity who God is. He is a God who is a missional God. Seek, save, and call. Another way to think about that is God's mission for Humanity is to redeem and to restore and to reconcile. Redeem, reconcile, restore. So as we go on tonight, I just wanted to take a minute to pray. And um, rather than me praying, I just want you to take a minute and just be quiet where you sit and ask God to open up your heart in a way that maybe it's not been opened. Because this is big. If you read the weekly, I told you I was going to be very in-your-face, very confrontational tonight of challenging you with what is your mission. And my plea, my heart to compel you tonight from Scripture is to say, make your mission what God's mission is. Give yourself to that. So just take a minute and ask God to open up your heart to his heart and that we would be people as a community that would respond to that. Father, please hear the prayers of this community, of these people. Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do in this place. God, would your voice be the loudest voice speaking to our hearts, to our minds, that we would be engaged by you tonight in this place. Father, this is really big. I don't want to miss it myself. I don't want to live life drifting, and I don't want anyone in this community 
to drift either. So Father, please, you've heard the prayers that have been offered to you, and I pray that you would be good to us tonight to answer these prayers. And pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So from day one, what I really love about Jesus is there was no bait and switch. When he met these guys on the beach of Galilee and invited them to follow, from day one, from the initial invitation, he was very clear about his invitation. Your life is not going to be about you. It's going to be about other people. A couple weeks ago, I, I talked about what would it look like if we just declared this community is not going to be about us. We're going to be people who are okay to say it's not going to be about me. It's going to be about the other. What burdens God's heart, that's what we're going to do. And I so appreciate that Jesus did not pull a bait and switch, like get him to follow him, be like, wow, he does some pretty cool things. Did you see the walking on water trick? And then he's like, and by the way, your life is really going to be about other people. From day one, from the moment of the invitation came the call. And it's uh, Matthew chapter 4. It says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Who says this to somebody? Who has the audacity to come up to another person? And these guys, probably, they had probably heard of Jesus, but they probably had not met him personally. To come up to another person and say, you follow me and I will make you something new. Either that person is really full of himself, incredibly arrogant. I mean, can you imagine just someone coming up to you on the street, looking you in the eye and saying, follow me. I will make you something different than who you are. If that did happen, you'd be like, wow, let me give you a number to AAA or what's uh, AA. <laughs> Don't call AAA. They wouldn't be able to help you in that scenario. <laughs> you'd probably look at them as if they were a whack job and walk away. Or someone who actually would come up to you and say that either ultimately has the authority and the ability, they're worth following. Let me just say it like that. They can take you to places you would never venture to go on your own. Jesus knew who he was, and he knew that he was worth following. And you have to understand in the Jewish culture of the day, this turned the rabbinic world upside down. If you were going to be a would-be follower or disciple, you would go up to a rabbi and you would say to the rabbi, I want to follow you. And this whole idea of following is not just I learn, I sit in a classroom type of thing. We sometimes think discipleship is just a, someone who learns. So a would-be disciple would go up to a rabbi and say, I want to follow you. And that was another way of saying translated, I want to be like you. And so the rabbis would make them jump through a few different hoops and say, well, quote Leviticus, uh, starting at this point in the book all the way to the end, if they couldn't do it, then they would say, well, you can't be like me, and they'd walk away. But Jesus comes to these guys, fishermen, and he says, you follow me. He's looking at them and says, I think 
you can be like me. And I will make you like who I am, missional. Fishers of men. So this was totally, these guys would have been like, whoa, you're doing it all backwards. And Jesus say, no, I think, I know you can be like me, so follow. And Jesus couples the invitation to follow with a promise. I will make you. Again, who says that to someone? Well, probably the same person who invited you to follow because he does have the authority. He does have the ability to accomplish something in my life that is far greater than I could do on my own. The invitation to follow, uh, to be made into something new, this was trading up. This was not just trading in. This was trading up, the lesser for the greater. Either spend your life killing fish and selling them, or invest your life in catching humanity, bringing life, modeling who God is. When you make the decision to follow Jesus, you're in essence saying this. And some of you, if you've made the decision tonight to say, I am a follower uh, of Jesus, in essence, you are saying that um, I believe that you are worth following, okay? Typically, if you're following Jesus, you're, you're good with that. But the question that you need to ask yourself uh, is this. Will you trust that where he desires to lead you is far better or more fulfilling than any road you'd walk on your own? A lot of Christians are really cool with the idea of following, but being made into something new. Whoa, whoa, I still, I got plans. I have my own ideas. It's an invitation coupled with a promise. Follow and I will make you like me. Jesus spent three years in public ministry at least, catching humanity, caring for, serving, loving, engaging, giving, forgiving, being compassionate, teaching, preaching, praying, all with one mission in mind to seek and to save that which is lost and to call people to follow. Mission drift occurs when we don't really have an answer to that question. The question being, am I really okay with being made into something new? Jesus, uh, and I, I do appreciate a lot about Jesus, is he, he didn't make any promise that this would be an easy life, that following him and being a fisher of men, not just a fisher of fish, would be easy. You want to know why it's not easy? Because it leads you away from living a life that's about you. You know why it's so hard to be a follower and to be a fisher of men, one who catches humanity, one who is missional, is if you do that, it's ultimately getting away from the idea that your life is going to be about you because it's going to be about God and it's going to be about other people. And Jesus made very clear from day one, follow me and I will make or create in you God's heart for humanity, which is to be missional, to seek, to save, to call. Would you follow? This is a question for you. Would you follow and allow Jesus to make in you a missional person.
a person who's truly on mission with God's heart, God's mission for the world. For Peter and um, Andrew, his brother, and there were two other guys I didn't tell you about, James and John, that were there, it was a no-brainer for these guys. They just dropped what they were holding, their nets, which was their livelihood, which was their identity, which was their security, their financial well-being. They just dropped those things that they were holding, and they said, we're in. What about you? The invitation is to follow and to be made, to be created, that God would infuse in your heart his heart, which is a heart for people to seek and to save and to call. You can spend your life catching fish, metaphorically speaking. Or you can spend, invest your life in other people. After three years of following Jesus, um, Jesus gave what many call is the ultimate the crux of this missional lifestyle, this missional ministry, the missional mandate. And it's in John chapter 20, verse 19 through 22. It says this, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus has died, and he's been resurrected now on Sunday morning. But it's still not cool to be a follower of Jesus. The doors are locked for the very reason they're freaking out. Because they would be looking, people, authorities would be looking for them, not to like have a meal with them, but to kill them. So this is why they were behind locked doors. On the evening of the first day, so this is Sunday evening, further evidence of Sunday night gatherings are very biblical. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. A lot of people, I mentioned this last week, but you don't typically think of Jesus as a missionary. But Jesus was a missionary. 39 times in one gospel, just in the gospel of John, what I just read from, it says that Jesus was sent. He was sent by the Father. 39 times, again and again and again, painting the picture that Jesus was sent. He was a man who had a very clear mission. What does a missionary do? I don't know if you know any missionaries. Like, I know what we kind of distinguish as real missionaries, people who live in Africa or uh, like we talked about, Kyla last week lived in Albania for the better part of two years. What does a missionary actually do? Well, they do a few different things, but initially they go. They get the go piece of being a missionary, and they go and they learn, meaning they learn, they study the context of the culture that they have been sent to. They love meaning they serve and they give and they engage the community. They build a relationship with them. They learn how to become one with the people that they have been sent to. 
for the sole reason of loving them as they are loved by God. For the sole reason of being hands, feet, heart, mind of Christ to the people that they have been sent to. Ultimately, they live out the gospel. So after Jesus had been with his disciples for 40 days, Jesus hung around. After he was resurrected, he was around for uh, the better part of a month. And after he was ascended into heaven to be back with the Father, he reiterated, guys, this is your mission. I told you about a month ago, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And then he says again, last words, Matthew 28, to his disciples and uh, probably about a crowd of 100 or so people. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus makes clear, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I am telling you, the most authoritative power in the known universe is saying, go. Can you imagine if the president of the United States, and I know you might not like this current one, so pick a president. The president of the United States calls you and says, I have a job for you. I have a mission for you. Most of us would reorient in our our entire life and say the president of the United States has just called me. The one who probably has the most authority in the free world has just called me and is entrusting me with this mission. How many of us would say, oh, I'm sorry, president, Um, I've got some other things to do. Most of us would be so honored and be like, I'll be there next flight. I'll leave tomorrow. I will go. And so Jesus, one who has all authority, he gives the command to go. How long does it take you when you're driving your car and you're stopped, you're at a red light, and some individual in front of you is at the same red light, and the light turns green? How long does it take you before you honk your horn? Because green typically means go. I know when I lived in Chicago... The general rule of thumb was less than a second. If you have not accelerated when the light turned green, you've got a blaring horn, and if it was nice and the windows were down, some choice words to accompany the honking of the horn. Many of us typically get annoyed. If someone's sitting there for two, three seconds, five seconds, you're sitting there behind, dude, it's green. What are you waiting for? Do you need some help? You want me to push you? Are you waiting for the next green light to come along? I'm wondering, the the mission, the, the one who has all authority in heaven and earth has said, go, the light is green. It's time to move forward. There's no need to think about it. We've been charged, this is our mission. The one who has all authority in heaven and earth says, go. And then he goes on, he says, make disciples. It's another way of saying, go fishing for people. Go invest your life in other people. Jesus in Luke chapter 10 says this. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers into his harvest field. Go. The light's green. I'm sending you. 
out like lambs among the wolves. There is not a shortage of people that we can go to, especially if you live in New England. And that back half of the verse, it's like, well, I'd much prefer to be one of the wolves going out among the sheep. It would be much more fun to be a wolf having a heyday with a sheep. But Jesus says, you're going out like sheep amongst wolves. This is not an easy mission. It's not for those faint of heart. It's not an easy task. But the one who has all authority in heaven and earth has said, go. He's screaming, go. The light is green. Catch people. Make disciples of all nations, not just one demographic, not one ethnicity, not one culture, of all people. We see humanity through the eyes of God as God sees them. We don't look at people and say, no, they're not, they're not part of the mission. They're from a different religious background, a different sexual orientation. Certainly they would not be interested in knowing God. To all people. And then it says baptize. The sim- symbolicness of baptism is that we die to self so that we may live for God. Romans chapter 6, mark it down, read it later, is an incredible picture of why we do baptism. Is that we are literally dying to ourselves so that we might live for God. New, we die to ourselves, to our sin, and then when we are raised up in the baptismal waters, symbolic of our life has now been resurrected because of Jesus. Then he says, teach people to obey. Why does he say teach people to obey? Because obedience is the way we can communicate to God that we love you. When we are being obedient, that is our best way to say to God, I love you. I am pursuing what you have to say, not mine, not my agenda. And then I love this promise. I am with you always. Sometimes we forget. We think that promise means I am with you when you are being really good Christian. I am with you like when you've read your Bible. I am with you when you're being super spiritual. It's not a conditional promise. He is with us at all times. There's nowhere where we can go where he is not going to be with us. That's the missional mandate in John chapter 20. In Matthew 28, Jesus, before he goes to be with the Father, reiterates the missional mandate to go. We have a green light. Then Jesus, uh, Luke reminds us something that Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Another great verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I want you to recognize the you in this phrase here is plural, meaning this is not one person, meaning you, the community, the people of God, would be on mission together. Sometimes we read the you and be like, oh, he's talking about you, Michael. You're the pastor. You're supposed to, aren't you supposed to do these things? No, you, plural, us, together as a community, that we would go. We would be ambassadors, witnesses to who God is. We would proclaim, we would live out the gospel before a world that is desperate need to know who God is. So to sum it up, the missional mandate, we were sent to all people, 
with a message, meaning the gospel, and we don't do it alone. We are empowered. We are people who are empowered. We're not left to do this, fulfill this mission on our own. Did they do it? I'm talking about these guys. These 11, 20-somethings, by the way, we sometimes picture these disciples, the guys who initially followed Jesus, as being like probably 40, 50, maybe elders. No, these guys were probably late teens, early 20s. So did this ragtag group of 20-somethings, did they do it? Did they go missional? And the answer is you just have to read the next book after the Gospel of John and the rest of the New Testament and track with church history. Because these guys went missional, we're sitting here tonight. Because they were faithful with the mission, what was entrusted to them, we're sitting here tonight talking about the same mission that was given to them. I love this. Um, <clears throat> this is in Acts chapter 2. Let me just read it to you. Peter is... Uh, now like the leader of the group. And uh, someone needed to step up and preach because people are like, what's going on? And Peter is going to explain to the crowds, to the religious people, let me tell you what's happening, what's going on. Okay, please keep in mind, Peter just about 40, 45 days earlier had, was saying, I don't even know who Jesus is. I, I don't even, I have no idea who this man is completely, utterly denied the person of Jesus. But then 45 days, 50 days later, he's like, I'll preach it. Let me go ahead and tell you about who Jesus is. And he preaches this beautiful message in Acts chapter 2. I'll pick up at verse 37. This is after the message. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. If you were ever at all thinking that God would maybe not empower you to be missional, to be a witness, to be an ambassador. Take Peter as a case study. This guy who had just denied Jesus now steps up and knocks it out of the park. 3,000 people, that's just counting men. So probably double that number and then some. Be like, what should we do? And they repent. And they get baptized. Meaning, I'm dying to myself, and I'm being raised back to life, newness of life in Jesus. Thousands of people were coming to faith in the first century because these guys decided to go missional. I know that um, you might hear this, and you're like, wow, this is inspiring at best, but it's still not me. You might even have those thoughts, I wish I could be that person. I wish I could do that kind of thing. I wish I could be maybe more bold. Talk to my friends. Talk to people at work. Talk to my family. Talk to the people who live next door to me. But Michael, you just, it's not me. That's not who I am. 
I don't know if you can relate to that uh, at all. I'm going to venture to say most of us can. And just so you know, it doesn't come natural to anyone. Do you know why it doesn't come natural to anyone? Because what comes natural to all of us is we want to live our lives about ourselves. We want to make our life about us. And anyone who will join the me party is always welcome. But Jesus is saying, if you follow me, I will make you, I will create in you. Because you cannot do it on your own. Us left to our own vice is going to say, let's make this thing about me. Let's make it about you. And Jesus is saying, I will make, I will create, I will fashion and form you, an image bearer of God, to have the same heart that God has for humanity. Let me finish up with just a few questions. The early church was just growing like crazy. I mean like crazy. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people were coming to faith. And what I love about that is these guys had no clue what they were doing. It was just a big mess. But they clung to a promise that Jesus had told them earlier, saying, guys, I will build the church. You just go fish. You go reflect back to humanity God's heart for them. And I will take care of the rest. Do you believe, be honest here as I ask this question, do you believe that God could and would use you and this community to impact the world? Okay, I'm not talking about like this world that lives in this room, but the world. Okay, before you like, okay, you're crazy. Do you believe that God would use you personally and use you as part of this community to actually have an impact on the entire world? Just before you say no, because I know that's the natural response of no, of course not. Why would that potentially be your first response? Because either your view of yourself is way too big and your view of God is too small. And I would say that somehow needs to rotate. Our view of God needs to expand a lot more. Because the message was to reach those in Jerusalem and Judea, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. I moved here four years ago. A lot of you guys know that. I moved here from Chicago, another pretty cool city, Chi-Town. It's not Ohio State, but it's, it's cool. And when I discovered that God was calling Kai and I to come to live in Boston in the New England area, you know what excited me most about this area? was that this city, this city of Boston, truly has a shot to impact the world. There's only, I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day about this. There's only a few cities in all of America that can boast this claim. And the three cities I would personally pick would be Boston, New York, and L.A. Highly influential cities, not just in their respective state, but throughout the world. If you consider where you guys are, where we live, if you impact Boston, because Boston is very transient, because it's very international, because people only come here for two years, three years, and then they go back to their different cultures, different cities, 
around the globe. Do you believe that God would use you and use this community to actually have an impact on the world? Glocalization. I'm not making up a word here. Glocal. This is what glocal means. A community which is willing and is able to think globally and act locally. I am not making up this word. It's a a newer term, a newer phrase. And it's only used in reference to a handful of communities that can think locally but also have an impact globally. When I think about Genesis, when I think about how God desires to use this community to impact and engage and love and serve and bless and to be missional in the city that we live in. I know we are in the suburbs right now, but we live about eight miles from Boston. When I think about where God has placed us and planted us as a community, I might be drinking too much crazy, but I actually believe that God would want to use you and use us as a community to have an impact on the world. I'm not just trying to fill our heads, your heads, with pipe dreams. But I believe that when Jesus said he would build his church, he will. And I believe that when he called me to follow him, he said, Michael, I'm going to make you something that you could not make of yourself. And he says the same thing to you. Do you know what your mission is? We already covered, you know your purpose. But do you know what your mission is? And the good news is that you don't have to create your own mission. You don't have to like fabricate a mission. Be like, oh, I guess uh, this will be my mission. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, to confess of your sin, to repent of it, to say, Jesus, I need you to make me right with God, and you're following him, if you've made that decision, then he's given you a mission. Follow me, and I will make you missional. Catch humanity. Reflect back to the world around you God's heart for them. And the beauty is you do not have to go somewhere to accomplish this mission because your mission is right where you are. To everyone, to anyone, everywhere you are, everywhere you go, you are always on mission. So it's living life being completely aware of the divine moments and appointments that God would have for you to step into in the workplace, in the home, where you live, where you play, where you eat, where you shop, where you work out. That is your mission field. And it's going to these places and saying, I am on mission. There is never a point where you are off mission. You might say, that is absolutely exhausting. Do I ever have any downtime? No. Can I ever take a break? No. Well, that's just not possible. Well, if I was doing it on my own, you're right. I would agree with you. But if I'm taking Jesus seriously, when he says, I am with you, then I'm not doing it on my own. I'm not doing it in my own strength. You want to know what's more exhausting than living a missional life? Is a life that has no clue what their life is about. And they live life every single day, every single week, month after month, year after year. What am I doing with my life? That's exhausting. 
living in a circle again and again. What am I doing with my life? What should I do this week? How about next month? A life that is not on mission, in my opinion, humble opinion, is an exhausting life. And what I love about this opportunity we have, guys, is you can't have a missional community unless the people in the community are living missionally. If we would make the decision individually to say, I'm going to be about God's mission for the world. I'm going to allow, I'm going to follow, and I'm going to allow God to create, to form, to shape in me one who has a heart for humanity like he does. Practically speaking, two quick or three quick thoughts. What does it mean, what does it practically speaking look like to live mission? Well, being sent, being a sent one is not something we do, it's who you are. Okay, so we're not just doing mission, it's who I am. It's the fabric of who we are. Like I said before, it means we're always on mission. The second thing is missional drift will occur when we settle for what is temporary. A lot of us just settle for what's good, what looks good on the weekend. You will continue to drift further and further and further away from God's mission for you when you go for the quick fix. When you go for what will please you in that moment, in that time, in that space. Remember those same decisions where you're like, gosh, why do I keep doing the same thing again and again and again? And a good just question to ask of yourself is this. Is there anyone here today that I might encourage, serve, love, engage, bless? When you go to work, when you're in your home, when you're in your apartments, when you're in your complexes, the different communities, where you guys hang out and work and work out and play, God, give me eyes to see who's here today. Because I am not doing mission. I am, I am mission. I am on mission every moment, every day. So God, give me not only the heart, but give me the eyes to see who's here. Is there someone I could just bless, love, encourage, serve, engage, ask questions, help out? Genesis here, we're not looking to gather more people to come in here. We're, we're really not looking to get this place, this room, really big with a lot of people. What we're looking to happen is that anyone and everyone that would come in here would go out there and would engage and love and serve Monday through Saturday. This is not about trying to grow this community. It's about getting this community to go and to get out of here and go to the world that you live in and serve and love, invest, catch humanity. If you are a follower of Christ, then know that living your life on mission, it's not an option. It's our responsibility. I just want you to catch this as I finish. It isn't an option. If you're going to follow, you have to be on mission. You don't have a choice. It's your responsibility as one who is trying to be like Christ. But I so want you to see the joy I mean, he didn't have to, right? He didn't have to use you. He doesn't have to use me. 
There's so much joy in life when you make your mission about God's mission. Yes, it's our duty. Yes, it's our responsibility. And if you actually just treat it like that, you'll become a bitter person, very jaded towards humanity and jaded towards God. But if you just have a humble thought that says, I can't believe God would invite me to be part of his mission of reaching the world. If that doesn't bring at some level a tear to your eye or some level of humility, some level of joy that says, my goodness, my God wants to use me. Then I would ask you to check, who are you really following? There is so much joy in living a missional life. There's so much joy in having a community that would be on mission together, that believes that God will actually do what God said he would do in reaching the world. There's so much joy and privilege for us as a community to say, God, if you would so desire us to reach Boston so that Boston could actually be a a city that would impact locally the globe, then God, let's go for it. As we would just finish and uh, just spend some time praying, I have no idea what God's been saying to you, but I just want you to respond. I just want you to respond to whatever God's been saying. If there's something in your heart that's just beating like, I can't do this, I can't do it, just say, God, give me a brand new heart, the heart that would beat like yours for other people. You might actually have people that you're already thinking about that you're going to see in a few hours at work. Learning to see where you work as your mission. Maybe your home, your parents, brothers, sisters, boyfriends, girlfriends. What God has been speaking and saying to you, can we just respond? And I said before, like an hour ago, The prayer is, God, make us missional. Let your prayer, God, make me, make me missional. Because to be missional is to be like God. Genesis is a ministry of Hope Christian Church. We invite you to find out more by visiting our website at genesisthejourney.com.